If I've not met you before, my name's John. I'm part of the team here. It's, um, it's so fun to worship together. I'm going to be closing out this series that we've been on, which is called The Beauty of the Gospel. This journey that we've been on over the last seven, eight weeks, it's been absolutely stunning. It's this idea of reclaiming and recovering the awe and the wonder of this gospel message that we know, we believe, that we proclaim, that we want to see lived out in the world around us, in the people that we meet, in the the city that we live in, in all of the places that we are and that we do life in. And it's been an absolute ride. And Pete started us out looking at this gospel message as a whole, and then we've been looking at all sorts of aspects of the gospel message for us, the power that it has, the victory that's won on the cross, the family that we're drafted into, forgiveness that's available for the sin that we have in our life, the justice that is available through the cross and what Jesus has done. And last week, Pete looked at love. And it's been a really powerful series. And I'm going to be closing it up today. But we're going to have a slight shift in, in what we're looking at today because I, I, want us, I want us to look at how this message, how the, the gospel message lands outside of this room? How does this news that we have been talking about, the good news of what Jesus has done, continues to do and will do, how that lands outside of this room? What is the landscape that is outside this place? What does it look and feel like? Who are the people that we're talking to day in, day out? What's their sense of faith? What's their sense of this gospel message of Jesus, of us as we talk to them about some of this Stuff And so that's what we're going to be looking at. What is the opportunity? What is the opportunity that presents itself in front of us in this moment, in our time, in our land? Because this gospel message that we've been looking at and that we've been immersing ourselves in, it's incredibly good news, but it's not just good news for you. It's not just good news for me. It is good news for a broken and hurting world that needs to hear the message. And we are compelled. We are compelled to go out and tell the story of who God is and what he has done. And so my hope today is to try and just set a scene that there is a city, there is a culture outside of these doors when we walk out later this afternoon that is perhaps surprisingly for some of us ready, willing, wanting to hear it. It is desperately wanting to hear and encounter the story of Jesus. So I want to start by reading a short passage. It's the Great Commission, the last few verses of the Gospel of Matthew. You probably would have heard it before. But I want to encourage you, just try and come with a fresh sense of of what, what God might want to say to us today. Okay, It's so easy when we hear these verses that we will know and would have heard so many times to just let it wash over you. But lean in, because I think there's something for us today. So Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says this, Then Jesus came to them, his disciples, and he said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to just give you a little insight into family life in the Carter household. So we've got two little girls and every Saturday night we do something called family 
film night. Now, family film night sounds like a beautiful moment for us as a family to kind of bond together. We stick on a film and we have dinner on the sofa and it's, it's really it's great, it's cute. We kind of have fun doing that every single week. We have fish and chips, it's great. What's really going on behind that is it's just an opportunity for Joe and I to do very little in an evening and just sit there with them and have fish and chips whilst we watch Finding Nemo or something similar. So anyway, we do family film night every week. So a couple of weeks ago, we're engaged in family film night. The film has started, the fish fingers are out the oven, the chips have been collected from our local chippy. And Joe says, oh, can you just get the ketchup out of the fridge because, you know, Nella loves, loves ketchup. So I'm like, that's fine, go to the ketchup. No, sir. Don't have any ketchup. Go back to Joe. Sorry, love. That they have, we haven't actually got any. We'll have to put some on the order. Nella will be fine without it. She goes, no, no. I, I put it in there yesterday. It's definitely in there. Don't you worry. Just, just go and have another look. So I'm like, go and have a look. Nope. It's not there, my love. I'm, I'm sorry. We'll, you know, we'll get some this week. She'll be fine. It's not kind of a big thing. Don't worry about it. She goes, no, John, I'm telling you. It's in there. So I go there. Like, Joe, Joe, I don't want to make a scene on, on family film night. This is a nice, you know, this is a bonding moment for us as a family. It's not in there. And she goes, brilliant. Well, thanks for not being patronizing, John. But maybe if you go there again and have another look, you'll actually see that it is in there. So I go there. Joe, I really don't want to fall out. It is not there, my love. So she goes, okay, I'm going to go and have a look. She goes straight over to the fridge, immediately opens it, gets the ketchup out and walks straight back over. <laughs> Unbelievable scenes. Now... You'd think I was being pretty stupid, right? But there is a psychological term to what was going on there. It is something called, get ready for it, inattentional blindness. Inattentional blindness. It's the kind of terminology that makes me feel good when Joe gets annoyed with me and I can't find the ketchup. And it's a psychological term, which means it must be real. It must be something that we should focus on. It's this idea that something could be right in front of us, but because we're not expecting it or it's not there in the way we're expecting it, we simply cannot see it. We simply cannot see it. It's right in front of us. But because we weren't expecting it to look and feel like what it did, we cannot see it at all. Now, in my defense, Joe had put it there the day before. But was it in the place we normally put it? No, it was not. Was I experiencing inattentional blindness? Yes, I was. Does that mean it's my fault? You decide. <laughs> Answers on a postcard. <laughs> Guilty, exactly right. I believe, honestly believe, we are experiencing inattentional blindness when it comes to our understanding of the cultural openness to the gospel that this moment presents. It's not what some of us are used to. It's not what many of us are expecting. It may not even be the kind of conversations that we've had before, but it is right in front of us. It is right in front of us. And I believe today there is an opportunity to pay attention to what is in front of us. There is an openness to the gospel like many of us have never seen in our lives before. We simply have to pay attention. Now, I said at the beginning this was going to be a slightly different talk, a slightly different angle. And so for the next 10 minutes or so, we're just going to watch part of an interview that Lois, our incredible evangelism pastor and the congregation pastor of the three, she did with, uh, with, it was someone called Rachel Jordan Wolf a couple of weeks ago, an incredible interview. And we're going to just um, look at it because it's going to tee up some of what I, I really think God's going to speak to us about today. Now, Rachel, she's one of the most passionately Jesus-loving people I've ever met in my life. Her desire for the church to engage better with the world around it is incredible. There is so much to learn from her. She's the executive director of something called Hope Together. And over a number of years, she's been pivotal in pulling together some research. You might have heard of it called Talking Jesus, where thousands of people across the country 
were asked questions about faith, questions about the church, questions about people that they know, questions about Jesus, people who are all outside of the church, and it's absolutely fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. So we're going to watch this video before I briefly try and draw out some of what this might mean for us. So let's watch that together now. Hello, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining us today. So you are the director of Hope Together, and you recently conducted some research called Talking Jesus. Can you just give us a little bit of an introduction about what that is? Yes, Lois, it's a joy to be here. So this research, Talking Jesus, absolutely love it. Mm. Uh, I was part of the team that put it together in 2015, the original, Original. and then we've redone it in 2022. Mm -hmm. So that helps us to track. I love research. I wrote the report. Um, and we did it in partnership with quite a lot of organisations that, that helped um, chip in and oversee and everything. So, but why? Why do we do it? Yeah. We did it because we really wanted to understand, if you like, what's happening outside of the church mm-hmm. for our task of mission evangelism. Yeah. Um, sometimes when you maybe uh, scroll through your social media or read a newspaper or look at headlines or whatever, you might think there's three Christians left. We're <laughs> a, a certain age bracket. We live, in, um, we live in a village somewhere and, you know what, the, the doors of the church are going to close next week. Yeah. But that's so not the truth. Mm. Um, and actually, also, you might think that no one's interested, that we've got, or they've got a negative view of us. All of these things can stop us in our evangelism. Mm. And what we wanted to do was find out what the truth is, because yeah. the truth always sets us free. <laughs> so we wanted to find out, like, if you like, what's the state of Christian faith in the nation? We wanted to find out what people outside the church think about people like you and me, um, how open they are to having a conversation with us about uh, Christian faith or Mm -hmm. about Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, What do they think about Jesus? Mm -hmm. Because that would really help. But I wanted to understand what people out there really thought about us, Jesus, and how open they are to finding out more. Amazing. So could you talk to us about some of the highlights, some of the key important things that you learned from the research that would be useful for us to know? Well, there was one jaw-dropping stat, Lois, which was on the resurrection. Mm. I don't know if you'll stop and pause for a minute. How many people you might think in the population in the UK might believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Mm. Well, we discovered in 2015 that it was 44%. Wow. I know. And in in 2022, it was 45%. Now, some of those people have got a bit of what I call wobble factor. Um, so um, in the UK as a whole, it's 16, 16% who believe it word for word. But in London, it's 24% of wow. London wow. believe word for word that Jesus rose from the dead. Wow. That's almost a quarter of the population of London who concretely believe. And then there's this group who, who believe, but they're not so sure about it. Right. Um, and so that would be 28% in London. Mm-hmm who believe, but they're like, some of it might not be quite accurate. We don't quite know. But I think they're like this, this group who are really open. We discovered that people really, they really like Jesus. It's good. Yeah, you know, they think he's spiritual. They think he's wise. They think he's a leader. They think he's loving. So he has, if you like, when I say Jesus, yeah. um, say in a conversation, I say I'm a follower of Jesus. Yeah. That isn't, it's not negative to mm-hmm. people who are outside the church. Yeah. Jesus is really positive. Mm-hmm. Um, we discovered also that um, a lot of people are in touch with one of us, somebody mm-hmm. who's a Christian. Yeah. It's about 53% of the population wow. who are non-Christian yeah. say they know someone like you or me who's yeah. a practicing Christian. Yeah. That's dropped mm-hmm. since 2015. Mm-hmm. It used to be 68%. Mm-hmm. That is a big, significant drop, mm-hmm. which means that during the pandemic, we lost some of our reach. Right. So we need to go back out. Yeah. 
join the football club, yes. take up Pilates, yes. go on that social drink mm-hmm. uh, from, from work mm-hmm. and make sure we're in spaces and places that people might meet us. But in London, it's, uh, it's, it's friendship. It's definitely friendship. Right. That is, so when you ask those people, do you know someone, yeah. then in London, it comes out as friends. Right. We're, we're more often their friends. Right. We're a bit less family. If you yeah. look at the UK as a whole, it's okay. family and friend. But in London, we're like loads of people know a practicing Christian and it's friendship. And that's because London is a little bit unique. Mm. You might know that. There's a lot more young adults yeah. in London, so we have um, we're, we're younger than anywhere else in the country, but we're also more religious than anywhere else in the country, and we're more ethnically diverse than anywhere else in the country. So we've got this beautiful mix that's happening in London uh, that particularly is making um, our, our friendships that important space and place for mission and evangelism. So cool. So many good, so many things that are good news in all of that. Yes. Is there, are there big differences? Is, are, is there anything you can speak of of this particular moment, opportunities of this particular moment, yeah. um, comparatively, say, to 2015? Yes. The way that people, if you're over the age of 18, mm-hmm. uh, we discovered from our research, the most likely way that you are to come to faith, the biggest influence on helping you come yeah. to faith is a life event. Mm-hmm. Positive, or negative so that could be the birth of a child Mm -hmm. it could be um, a bereavement Mm -hmm. it could be moving house changing job but it could also be a pandemic a war in Ukraine or an economic crisis all of those things are like national life events so as a result of these national life events we have every single adult Mm -hmm. and actually also children and young people but there's some different influences that come into play that help them come to faith um, has, has gone through something that has made them ask more questions so basically in 2015 Mm. we discovered that one in five Mm -hmm. of our non-christian friends Mm -hmm. having had a conversation with someone like you or me was interested to find out more about jesus one in five and one in five also were wanting to encounter or experience jesus after that conversation I was quite excited. Yeah, that's amazing. That's why, I don't know if you do um, the Thy Kingdom Come prayers, we pray for five people who don't know Jesus. It came straight out of that statistics. Right. Yeah. We pray for five. because yeah. It was kind of pray for five because I think one of those people would be open. Yes. Well, the good news, yeah. Lois, is in 2022, it's one in three. No way. That's amazing. <laughs> so yeah. one in three yeah. of our friends and family members, when we talk to them about Jesus, mm. after the they want to know more about Jesus. Mm. We know that right now. Yeah. Statistically, yeah. we know that they want to know more about Jesus yeah. or they want to encounter him for yeah. themselves. Yeah. And do you know what? In London, it goes up again. No way. <laughs> so in London, even more people in London want to know about Jesus. Wow. So it's about um, 44% of the non-Christians in London who've had a conversation with someone like you or me wow. want to know about Jesus and 42% who want to experience or encounter him for themselves. That is amazing. On our own turf, that's amazing. On our own turf, right now. Yeah. So... What an opportunity! Such an opportunity. That is that's massive. That's actually shocked me. That's I know that's amazing. it's so massive. I yeah. mean, we're almost at, we're almost at you know half. We're almost yeah. at one in two, yeah. which is yeah. jaw dropping. And we know that concretely from mm. the statistics. It's amazing. So Rachel, off the back of all of this information, amazing statistics, which are clearly in our favour when we are talking to people about Jesus. What is your encouragement to us to practically go out for someone listening to this right now in our congregation who maybe isn't super familiar with talking to people about Jesus? What would be your encouragement? How can we get practical? 
Yeah. So we can practice. Mm. One of the things is to practice talking with our Christian friends about mm-hmm. what difference has God made in your life. Yeah. And you could do that even like, is there something you can pick up that's quite recent? It doesn't need, necessarily need to be, you need a wham-bam testimony. Yeah. I mean, they're great if you've got one, but if yeah. you haven't got one, don't panic. Yeah. It just needs to be like, what has God done this last week or this last month or yeah. what have you prayed about that's that, mm-hmm. you know that you can drop into a conversation mm-hmm. um offering prayer for people is such mm-hmm. an amazing um start an opportunity um inviting them along to something but it is starting that conversation it's letting people know that you are a follower of jesus mm-hmm. and where are the best places and spaces so we're not all called it's great where we can go out and do like street work and yeah. stuff like that because yeah. we'll find some of these people yeah but we are called all to be witnesses yes. where we are. So that is in that um, workplace or in that space or in that party. We just had the coronation and mm-hmm. got to know one of the people in, in one of the block of flats near us. Mm-hmm. And he was doing a little little party in his gardens as the flats. And he said, will you come? And yeah. I was like, to be honest, I was quite tired because we'd already done quite a lot for, the, <laughs> for different things, you know, in church, yeah. everything. And it was bank holiday Monday. And then I was like, oh... And then I thought, what sort of project I'd have to run to have that many people who didn't yet know Jesus? Mm. So I was like, I just need to go. And I prayed to the Lord and I said, Lord, I think there could be one person there. Can you make sure I meet that one person? So I took along to this party. There's not many people there at all. There's only about eight people sitting around a table. It's really (laughs) lovely. Took my cake and and I talked to one of the, um, we live in community, I talked to one of the guys in our house and and, and said something similar because I know he's really good at talking to people. I said, if you've got time, Mm. pop in. So I went there and I sat down, I'd got this book, we hope together created a, a Matthew's Gospel for the Coronation. So we gave, I gave those out, which was a great opener about, actually, you know, this is, this is you know, about King Charles, yeah. but it's also about the King of Kings, you know, got yeah. Sat down next to this young guy and he said, oh, I'm so glad you're here, he said, because I, I've actually got some questions about the Christian faith. Come on. <laughs> I'm like, thank you, Jesus! <laughs> I'm like, you're in the right place. And anyway, so I could open that conversation Mm. with him. He actually was interested in all different faiths. He said, I'm really interested in the Christian faith. Mm. I said, fantastic. Let me talk to you about that. What questions have you got? It was so easy. Mm. So I think it's pray Mm -hmm. and look for opportunities Mm -hmm. um, whenever you're out and about. Mm. And and let's not actually give up Mm. being in those spaces and places where our non-Christian friends are. Sometimes the Christian hoover bubble can hoover all our time and resources yeah. it's lovely into yeah. our church community yeah. but we need to be really intentional mm. even when we're tired mm. to say actually I'm going to go a bit like Jesus mm. and sit on a well yeah. and be in the right place at the right time yeah, to have an impactful conversation mm-hmm. with the right person and God can line these up for us yeah. he's genius yeah So good. Pilates, here we come. Just, just let some of that sink in. Nearly one in two of those that we talk to across this city want to know more about Jesus or encounter him. Nearly one in two. Nearly one in four of those walking around us believe word for word that the resurrection is real. Absolutely incredible. Friendships, the pivotal place where people want to talk about Jesus. Big cultural events, COVID, Ukraine, cost of living crisis, a generation that is breaking through, that is open to the spiritual and wants to put language to what they're sensing and experiencing. They're desperate for some language that will help them know what it is that they are encountering. These all provide explanation, right? to why this moment is so, so unique and there is an incredible opportunity. It's time for the church to stand up and be the church 
to go out and proclaim the good news of who God is. And in the time we have left, I just want to ask three very, very simple questions that I hope will sit with us. And I really hope these will, will go with us outside of this place that will dwell with us as we go and work out what some of this might look like in our, our lives. And they're these. Where are we going? Where are we going? What are we doing? And what's stopping you? Where are you going? What are you doing? And what's stopping you? The first one, where are you going? The Great Commission has movement in it, right? Therefore, go. Therefore, go. There is movement that sits within the Great Commission that Jesus compels his disciples and thereby compels all of those who are following him after to go, to go into the the world. And here's the trap that I think we fall into time and time again is that we hope and we wait for God to encounter and reach someone outside of these walls so that they might reach out to us, so that we might reintroduce them to Jesus, so that they might lift their hands and worship with us. And that is totally the opposite movement that we read of in Scripture. Jesus is sent by the Father to proclaim the coming kingdom. The disciples are sent by Jesus to go out into the the towns and villages to proclaim the good news of who God is. The early church are empowered by the Spirit and then sent out. And we are a sent people. We are a sent people. We've got it completely the wrong way around. It's amazing when that happens, when people just knock on the door of the church and say, can you help me figure out what the heck is going on with me and with what this thing called God is doing in my life. But we are compelled to go out. God reaches out to us in his love that we might encounter and experience his love so that we're empowered to go out, so that we might draw people into the love that he has for them, so that we draw them into the church, so that we lift our hands together in worship and praise him. We've got the movement so wrong so much of the time. And if you want to see this in action, go and find someone who's recently come to faith. They are desperate to tell all of their friends and family who God is, who Jesus is, what he's done in in their life because they cannot help but do it. It's just like bubbling out of them. There is such a joy. There is such a conviction that this is not just for them, it's for everyone. Go and find someone who's got that contagious faith and will be reminded of the contagious faith that we once had and that we can have again. We can have again. We are sent out. We are sent out. And the simple question is where? And we read the disciples in, in the beginning of Acts, which is just after this um, story that we, or the Great Commission that we read of at the, at the end of Matthew. And it says that they are sent by the Spirit to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. In other words, where they are right now, to somewhere a little bit further than that, to somewhere a little bit further than that, and then to the whole of the earth. And we can get so fixated on what's at the end the furthest possible places, the furthest places where the church are called to that we can ignore what is on our very doorstep. So often the place that we're actually sent is exactly where you are now. Where has God placed you? Where are you sent? It's where you are now. What is your place of work? Who are your neighbours? Who are your friends? What family are you in? Who needs to encounter the love that Jesus would have for them in your family? Where are you right now? And I just want us to have a moment. Let's just have 20 seconds. Maybe close your eyes. Like, where are you now? Where are you now? If you want to know where you're sent, where does the rest of your week place you? Where does the rest of your life put you?
So hold them in mind as we, as we keep going on. Because it's not just where we're sent. You can open your eyes now. I'd love for you to keep your eyes closed for the rest of it, if I'm really honest with you. But I think that would be a bit weird. Um, not only are we sent somewhere, not only are we called to go, but go, therefore, and make disciples. We've got to do something. There is an action that is integral to the Great Commission. So not only where are you going, but what are you doing? And for so many of us, we feel content, right? Just being a Christian presence where we're sent, a living and breathing presence of the Spirit where we work, where we live. And that is a powerful, a profound start. It shifts the spiritual atmosphere when we're in those places. And yet, I think this command by Jesus, it compels us to so much more, so much more. And I want to ask, what does it look like to be a people who pray? What does it look like to be a people who proclaim? And what does it look like to be a people who prophetically call into being relationships, places, industries, places of work? What does it look like to be these things? And these will just be a starter, right? There's so many things we could do. This could be a whole series, like a whole year of preaching in itself. But I just want to give us some starter for 10 to help us on this journey. So we, we need to be people of prayer. We have this incredibly powerful weapon at our disposal, which is to pray for people. It says in Ephesians 6, be alert, always keep on praying. Not just be a presence in a place, but pray for people, pray for things, pray for situations, be people of prayer. When was the last time that you offered to pray for someone? It's an extraordinary in. Can I pray for some healing? Do you need some provision? How can I offer prayer for you today? And see what happens. See what happens after that. It's an extraordinary in. Try it at work. Try it in the gym, in the supermarket. Try it with groups that go out from KXC. Sundays, seek first. It's happening all over the shop. You just need to kind of keep your ears pricked for it. It's amazing the opportunity that we have when we pray for people. And people are open to it, man. They are open to it. They want to be prayed for. If nothing else, you'll probably get a, oh, that's so sweet. I'm okay for now, actually, thank you. And at least they felt kind of sorry for you in the, in the midst of all of it. There's something quite nice about that. But then more often than not, they say, yeah, I'd love to be prayed for. Something's happened in my family. I'm not feeling too well. My girlfriend's not well, whatever it is. Great, let's pray together. I'm going to pray for you. Maybe you could use some words as well. Do you believe in God? And then you're away. We need to be people of prayer. We also need to be pre people who proclaim the gospel, to pro who proclaim the message of the gospel. Pete said right at the start of this series that in order for the gospel message to be heard, it has to be proclaimed. <laughs> it's hard for something to be heard if it's not ever spoken. We are people who proclaim words, and words matter. And you know, the most powerful proclamation that you have in your armory and at your, disposable, at your disposal is your story. Your story. The testimony of what God has done in your life, the testimony of what God continues to do in your life. And Rachel said it brilliantly there, right? You might have an incredible story of coming to faith. Amazing. You might have a story that is incredibly boring about how you came to faith. That's me, by the way. Fine, share that one as well. But it might be that you just have something that's happened in the last week, the last couple of weeks, the last season of your life where you want to say, can I just tell you what God's done in my life? Can I tell you what I asked for and what he has done? That is incredibly powerful. 1 Peter 3 says, always be prepared. Always be prepared, not sometimes, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. Why do you have the hope that you have? 
How do you explain that to your friends, to your family, to your colleagues, to the people around you? But do this, it goes on, we often miss this bit, but do this with gentleness and do it with respect. Do it in a way that meets the people where they're at and explains your story in a way that's relatable for them to get to. When was the last time you told your testimony to someone? Not just people outside the church, by the way. When was the last time you told your story or how you came to faith or what God's doing in your life to anyone? What would it look like in hubs over the course of this week, over the next couple of weeks, where we just simply tell stories of what God has done? Incredibly faith-building, but also incredibly helpful for us to get acquainted with the story of how God is moving in our lives. So we're called to be people who pray, called to be people who proclaim, but also called to be people who prophetically call things, people, places into being. Prophecy in its truest form is understanding the now of what something is, understanding what the not yet is at the end of, of, of um, the, the story, then the new creation, and dragging those two things together. Calling something up into being and saying, you were made for more than this. Dragging forward the future and saying, you can be so much more. And holding those two things in tension. And I want to ask the question, what does it look like for your industry, for your company, for your relationships, for the person in front of you that you're doing life with day in, day out? What does it look like for them to live a life worthy of the calling for them in the new creation? And what's the next step you have in that? What's the next step you have in that journey? What does it look like to live, to proclaim, to act and love in a way that brings those two things together every single day? The Great Commission is a movement. We go. We go and do something. It's an action. We make disciples as we go. And finally, I want to ask the question, what, what's stopping you? What's stopping you on this? And can I be really honest with you? I want to level with you. I wasn't looking forward to this talk for a number of reasons, um, some of which it's not worth me sharing. But for the one that, one that I will share, and that, that sounds ominous, but it's not actually, that sounds darker than it is. The, the reason I will share is that on one level, this is incredibly exciting, right? The opportunity is there. People are open. They're ready and they're willing and they're expectant to meet with Jesus. And we have the capacity to be people who can be the bridge between that moment. And yet here's the problem. And I know it's the problem for me. I really hope it's a problem for you. Otherwise, I'm not the right person to be giving this talk. We just don't do it. We simply often don't do it. And I want to ask the question, why is that? What's actually getting in the way? Because we know this stuff. We know the Great Commission. So many of us would have read that so many times. We know that it's not just conceptual. We know that we're called to go and do stuff. We know that God goes with us as we do it. And yet time and time again, something comes in the way. And I want to ask the question, what is that? And how do we get over those obstacles? And I think there's probably three things. One is to do with priorities. One is to do with the feeling of inadequacy, and the last is fear. Now, it really hurts me that I've misspelled two of those words, which does hurt me. It is inadequate. Um, but it, by the time someone showed me that, it was too late to change it for the three, so I'm sorry about that. Priorities. Do we really... Do we really prioritise what it looks like to go and make disciples? And really what that often manifests itself in is busyness. Do we really make 
the time. If we go back to the beginning, inattentional blindness, our expectations for this moment will not change until we position ourselves to see what is right in front of us. We have to position ourselves differently. Jesus says this in in Matthew 6, that that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Think of any giving talk, if you've ever been to one here, you would have heard Pete or someone else say that where your, your money is, that's where your heart is. In other words, if you want to know what you love, what you really, really love, look at your bank statements. Look at where you spend your money. And that's entirely true, but we could equally just say, if you really want to know what you care about, if you really want to know what you care about, look at your calendar. Look at where you spend your time. Look at who you spend your time with. Look at how much time you spend working. Look at how much time you spend resting. Look at how much time you spend serving the self. Look at how much time you spend eating, drinking, all of these things, all of which are amazing, all of which are amazing. But how are we intentionally creating space to go and make disciples? Is there space in your life to go and make disciples? That's the first thing. Secondly, inadequacy spelt incorrectly as well. Back to the passage, it says this, um, that Jesus calls us to go teaching them, teaching those in the world to obey everything I have commanded you. And here's the obvious question. Who am I? Who am I to do that? For some of us, we are so wrapped with this sense of inadequacy, of shame, that's like, who am I to be able to do that when I feel like I'm not even doing that very well? I feel like I'm not following Jesus with the wholeness of my life. I feel like I don't understand what the teachings of Jesus are, what it looks like to obey him fully. How can I go and do that when I'm not doing this stuff in my life? We can be so put off with our own lives that we don't feel right before God, that we can't even get over that first hurdle. In fact, one of the great claims over you and I, the church, is that we're full of, we're full of hypocrites. And there's some truth in that. Of course, there's some truth in that. We are all hypocritical to some degree. But there's a spiritual dynamic to this, which is the enemy would jump on that and say, yeah, you're right. You have no authority. What right do you have? Who are you to do that? You're too broken. You don't know enough. There's not enough head knowledge. You don't live this stuff out enough. Who are you? And the answer is, who am I? I'm the one who's sent. I'm the one who is sent. Why? Not because of anything I've done but because all authority is given to Jesus and he commands us to go. He commands us to go. You know, you are perfect in the sight of the Lord. Do you know that? You are a saint in the eyes of the Lord. There is nothing that should undermine your capacity to go out into the world and proclaim the goodness of who God is and what he's done. You are a saint in the eyes of the Lord and you're a sent saint at that. Don't believe the lie but that because you're still a work in progress, Jesus can't use you to proclaim the goodness of God's love into a broken world. You have all authority. Why? Because it's been given to Jesus. It's been given to Jesus. And that leads us to the last hurdle, maybe the most obvious. And this one is spelt correctly, you'll be pleased to see. And it's fear. It's scary. This stuff is scary. It's costly. You potentially feel stupid. You potentially look stupid. And that is, to some degree, true, at least at first. And there's a couple of things, though, that I want to say that I feel like the Lord would want to speak into us today. And the first is this. If the research is anything to go by, if the research is anything to go by, there is a world out there who is prepared for us to look stupid in order that they might encounter Jesus. They are willing for us to look stupid 
if it means that they hear more about the person of Jesus and might be introduced to him. That matters. That matters enormously. They're willing for us to look stupid. And the question is, are we willing to look stupid at the same time? Some of us need to know, and I know this is punchy language, that momentary stupidity is a worthwhile price to pay for eternal salvation. Momentary stupidity is a worthwhile price for you and I to pay if that compels us towards somebody else's eternal salvation. This stuff is real. This stuff matters. This stuff is real. And secondly, I want to say this. This isn't about you. This isn't about me. I feel like the last few preachers I've done, I've always always ended it with my last point of saying, like, this isn't about you and it's not about me. And I keep getting people like, who is it it about then? (laughs) It's not about you. It's not about me. This is about Jesus. This is about the crucified and risen Jesus because it says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Therefore, go and make disciples. The good news is that God's power is available to us. The authority of Jesus is available to us as we go. But it gets even better than that because it says this at the end, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Not only is his power available, but his peace is with us as well. All authority that's been given to Jesus operates through us as we go out into a world. And all peace and comfort by the Spirit goes with us as we go out into the world. It's an extraordinary invitation that we have. For some of us today, I honestly believe God just wants to melt away fear. It's like from the moment the Great Commission comes up as the passage that we're looking at, you're like, oh gosh, here we go. And you need to know there is no fear that you need to experience. Will some of it be scary? Yes. Will you sometimes look stupid? Yes. Should fear be present as you go? No. Because all authority has been given to Jesus and that authority is given to you and to I and his spirit goes with us. I want to finish with with just a really practical explanation of what some of this can look like. So a few years ago, I was living in Nottingham with a a group of guys and we were kind of new to this and we wanted to figure out how to, to create rhythms, how to prioritize this, how to get over our own inadequacy, how to get over fear and just kind of practice some of this. And so we had a, a weekly shop that would come that would be delivered um, by, by a supermarket. And we just decided this was going to be our time. So they're like kind of cornered in that situation, aren't they? They're there. They can't really go anywhere. They've got to give you your stuff. Some of you are like, wow, that's insensitive. I'm, I'm nicer than this normally. We were like, let's give it a go. Let's give it a go. And so through kind of shaky voices at the beginning, we'd all be standing there together and the door open. <laughs> I would be like, you know, we're, we're, we all go to a church. Can we, is there anything we can pray for today? And, you know, we believe God wants to do things in, in his world today. And can we pray for you? And it was super awkward. And the first time was like, oh, that's so sweet. But no, thank you. That's so kind. And we did it each and every week. And the more and more we did it, the less and less scary it got. The more and more we did it, the more and more fun it got. And, you know, the more and more we did it, the more things we saw. We saw one guy healed. We saw another guy come to Alpha at the church that we were part of. It was amazing. And I don't see that, say that to be like, gosh, isn't that amazing? What I'm trying to say is, is it's easy. It's easy if you prioritize. It's easy if you're willing to face ridicule. It's easy if you're willing to overcome fear so that somebody else might experience the love that God has for them. Where are you going? What are you doing What is stopping you? We are a sent people. We're told to go, go, leave this place 
in five minutes, 10 minutes, go and make disciples. That's what we are. It's who we are compelled to be in the power and the authority of Jesus and the comfort that the Spirit walks alongside. And guys, there is a world out there who is ready. They are ready, wanting and willing to experience the love that Jesus has for them. And so we're going to ask right now that the Spirit would come and empower us, that we would experience and know the authority that we carry as we leave this place. Thank you.